Well, welcome again, everybody, and welcome everybody online and watching at Montrose. Thanks for joining together and uh, making it a priority to get together. Grateful for it. Uh, we are in this series that uh, we call Down to Earth, and what we're doing in this series is we're talking about why Christmas makes a difference in real time, real life right now. Like it's not just this thing that's out there. It's not just like a religious holiday. Like it's, it's a deal that shows up in our life kind of in an everyday way. And that's why Jesus caused it to happen. Like he came down to earth to kind of be down to earth so that we could know him and we could understand him and we can lock into him a little bit. And so uh, we started this conversation and, and we started last week just talking about it. And we, we started digging at a couple of key passages that we're going to kind of keep working on a little bit this week. So one of the first ones was John chapter one and God is kind of teaching us who's this baby, right? So Good news, great joy, baby in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger, born of a virgin, the Messiah has come. What's all of that mean and how's that supposed to work? And so God kind of explains it throughout kind of the rest of the Bible. So he says stuff like this. So he says the word, the word is another name for God or name for Jesus. So the word became human and made his home among us. So that's what was happening. Like when I look at that baby in the manger, what I'm looking at is God with skin on. And so I'm looking and saying, God came down, he became human so that he could be among us. Why would he do that? Because God wants us to understand him. So the Bible says, God is too big for us to wrap our heads around. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. There's no way that as a human being, I can just like, oh, I understand all the nuances of God. So what he did was he made himself understandable. And when Jesus put skin on and came to the planet, seeing Jesus, God, live his life and teach us about his heart and mind through the human experience, allows us to get our head around it a little bit. So when I see Jesus love somebody else in a context that I would be called to love him, I get my head around the love of God. When I see Jesus exercise his power towards something else in a context that I get, like my humanity, that makes more sense to me. When I see Jesus grieve in a human context the way that I would grieve, it makes his comfort make more sense to me. So God put skin on, came among us. What was he like? Did, why did he show up? Was it to exploit us, expose us? Like what was his deal? And so the Bible says when you look at that baby, what you should see is this, that God was skin on, was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So that baby, Jesus, God with skin on, is here, but he's here with an unfailing love for us and an unwavering faithfulness to us. So God didn't come uh, to get us. He came because he loves us and is faithful to us and knows that we needed him. And we find this out even later on in the Bible in Hebrews chapter 4. The, what he's, what was kind of motivating him. So since, so then since we have such a great high priest who's entered heaven, that's Jesus, the son of God. Let's hold firmly to what we believe this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So 
let us come boldly into the throne room of God, of, of this gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. So you just start putting that together a little bit. God shows up skin on so that I can understand the heart and mind of God. His heart and mind is motivated by a love for me, an unfailing love for me, and a faithfulness to me. Why is he motivated to love me and be faithful to me? Because he understands me. And he's been tested in all the same core ways that I've been tested, but he didn't sin. And he knows that I'm gonna need him in those moments of testing and temptation and trial. So when I face that, instead of thinking that God has abandoned me or he's away from me, what I do is I crank boldly into the throne room of God and say, help. And when I do that, what I will receive from that gracious God is mercy and grace when I need it the most. And so we talked about that and started to get that picture, like that's all that baby, that's what that's going on there, that, that silent night, holy night, born of a virgin, baby in a manger, like that's what all that is happening right there. And that is an invitation from God for me to invite him into my humanity. God knows that I cannot deal with my own sin. He knows that temptation is gonna overwhelm me. He understands how all of that works. So he came down to earth to be with me in that. So I can have victory and freedom from those things in my life. So God would look and say, come boldly into my throne room, invite me into those areas of your life because I showed up because I know you need me there, right? So that's, that's like a big part of what's happening in that manger with that baby. And, it, and it's kind of a big part of what Christmas, Christmas is. Now this week, what I want to do is I'm going to kind of expand that conversation kind of off of these verses and then we'll see other parts of the scripture too. The first invitation we kind of looked at, why did Jesus come down to earth? He did that so that we would be able to invite him into our humanity. Here's a, like a second invitation, a second thing that we would find that Christmas means. Jesus wants us to invite him into our humanity. Here's the second one. Jesus wants us to invite him into our woundedness. So God would want me to invite him into temptation, sin, so that I can, but God would want me to invite him into my woundedness right now. If you're a human being, if, if you're not a human being, raise your hand right now. Okay, good. So if you're a human being, every human being has wounds. Every single human being has wounds. And we have those wounds because we live in a fallen world that is mostly defined by sin. And what we do as human beings, what we are best at as human beings is we are best at sinning against each other. In fact, the Bible says it's our nature to do that. So if you're a human being and you live on the planet, you are going to be wounded. There is going to be a moment or there's gonna be a phase of your life where things are gonna come into your life and they're going to attack and mar the foundation of life that God intended for every human being to build off of. 
So we were created to be in relationship with God, perfect relationship with God. We were also created to be in perfect relationship with each other. All the rich parts of our life come from our relationship with God and all the rich and meaningful parts of our life come in our relationship with each other. But we live in a fallen and broken world. And so that perfect foundation that God created us to live off of is marred and broken and attacked by wounds. And some of those wounds are self-inflicted and some of those wounds are imposed externally onto us. So some of our wounds come from the fact that we have made bad decisions and we have rebelled and we have sinned and we have taken our life in a direction that has caused harm to ourselves and harm to the people around us. And they're self-inflicted wounds. And we would look back at those moments and we would look back at those phases of our life and we would say those are times in our life that we regret, that we feel guilty, that we have shame. And when those self-inflicted wounds strike at the foundation off of which we were created to live life. That foundation is broken and that foundation is distorted and I will begin to live life off of a broken and distorted foundation which will ultimately lead me further and further away from my creator's intent. Some wounds, guilt, shame, regret, are self-inflicted. Some wounds are imposed externally. Abuse, abandonment, victimization. And I am hurt. I'm innocent. I'm just a kid doing nothing. And somebody else wounded me. They abused me. I'm a kid. I don't even... I don't even understand sexuality, but this person abused me sexually. I don't even, all I know is like I need a mom and a dad, but this person abandoned me and the list would go on and on. I'm a victim of it. And when I am victimized, that same foundation is broken and marred and scarred and it, it distorts and I'll begin to live life off of that distorted foundation. Sometimes those wounds are self-imposed. Sometimes those wounds are imposed externally, but the result a lot of times is kind of the same. That I start to build my life off a foundation that is not healthy for me to build my life off of. Now this is what tends to happen. When that process starts to take place, and it takes place in all of us to differing degrees because every human being has wounds. When that process starts to take place, it puts us into a cycle. And that cycle kind of looks like this. This is how I, I wrote it. Our wounds are often amplified then by our sin. So if I have a self-inflicted wound and I rebelled against God and I made bad decisions and I, made, I just went against what I knew God wanted me to do, once I have that self-inflicted wound, if I rebelled and I said, I'm going to throw away my purity, just who cares? And I bring that brokenness and that marring to that foundation, once I've made that decision, oftentimes what'll happen is I'll go with it. Since I lost my purity, I'm just gonna decide I don't care about it. 
And I went from a wound now to a deliberate set of actions. And my wound is amplified. The, the initial decision was a one-time thing, but now I followed it up with a rebellion and a callousness toward God. And my wounds are amplified by sin. If those wounds come in and they're externally imposed, right? So I've been abused. Well, once I'm abused, now I feel dirty and used and broken. So because I feel that way, I'm now just going to go with it. I'm going to live and act as a dirty, broken person. Even though I know what God says, I, I don't believe it. So I'm going to go with it. So that feeling of dirtiness and that feeling of brokenness is amplified now by my sin, right? Now, as wounds, the event, the phase of life, self-imposed or externally imposed, when those happen, now I'm building life. I'm amplifying that by my sin. What happens generally then is this, is as wounds are amplified by sin, they become nurtured by our secrets. So I'm living, I'm living this addiction. I'm living with this bitterness. I'm living with this, just fill in your blank, right? I'm living with it because I've decided I've given up or I've accepted this identity that's been imposed upon me but I don't like it. I don't wanna live that way. And I find this especially true of people who would come to church or watch online. People who would care about God or care about church, they know that this sin that is amplifying this wound is bad and unhealthy and they care about what God thinks or what God's people might think. So they'll take that sin and they'll hide it. And when that sin becomes a secret, that wound festers in that secret. I know how God would feel about my sex life. I know the people in my community at church would agree with God. So I got to make sure nobody knows what my sex life is actually like. I know how God would feel about addictions and about who, about who he says owns my body that he owns that I don't own it. And I know how the people at church, I know that they would like confront me about it a little bit. So I need to hide my addictions because I need to present in my mind this facade. And what happens is this, I'm wounded, sin, sin amplifies it, secrets nurture it, and it turns into a cycle. So these, these secrets that I keep are the parts of my life that I kind of like hate the most, but they're also the parts of my life I've never figured out how to live without. Because I, I feel really, really dirty, except for those 30 seconds when I kind of feel okay and euphoria, and I'm addicted to that, and so I have to pursue that and pursue that and pursue that. And what happens then is this, over time, we find ourselves trapped and defined by our wounds. So the life that I'm living now is a result of this wound, but this wound is way, way back here. It's a thing, it's a period of time that's been amplified, that's been nurtured, and now it's kind of me 
and regardless of who I want to be or what reality is or what God says, this is what I'm stuck with. And I'm living in this identity, right? And let me, let me uh, give you an example. This is kind of a cheesy example, but you'll remember it. So when I was um, seven or eight years old, uh, I was at a, a wave pool with my, my sister. I don't want to say which sister, but it was Susan. So I was, I was at the wave pool with my sister Susan. You know what a wave pool is? Like they make waves. It's for middle, Midwestern people who have no hope of ever getting to an ocean. And so they, we, like, we make our own. And so I'm at this wave pool with my sister Susan. And uh, they turn the waves on, right? And so the waves are waving the water. I'm on a raft with my sister. And I decide, I don't even really know why I decided this. I decided I wanted to swim from the raft to the edge of the pool. So I did. I started, I let go of the raft and I swam to the edge of the pool. Well, I was young enough that I didn't really understand how much strength it took to swim in waves. So I just took off. I swam to the edge of the pool, got to the edge of the pool. I climbed out of the pool. I was tired and worn out, but I was young enough that I didn't really know like that means you should rest. I just wanted to go back to the raft. And so I just jumped back in the water. And so I jumped back in the water. The waves are going. Now I'm trying to swim to the raft. I'm young enough to not realize that I shouldn't have done that. But now I've done it and I'm old enough to realize like I'm going to drown. Like I'm in like in trouble, right? So I'm spitting up water, gasping for air. I get close to the raft where my sister Susan is. And Susan thinks it's funny if she dunks me under the water. But I'm drowning. So I'm reaching for the raft, and she's like, in the name of the Father, you know? And I'm like, just like what is going on? And I'm like, what? And so she keeps pressing me under the water, and I'm like choking and sucking. By the way, it's Susan that did this, right? Finally, she saw the panic on my face, and, and she let me on the raft, and, you know, we all live, right? So that was the wound. That was a wound, right? Now, from that moment, as a seven year to or eight-year-old kid, to today, I'm kind of afraid of water. Like, I don't like water. So I don't, I don't like being in the water. I'm nervous about my kids in the water. Like, I don't like water because I, I am afraid of drowning back here. And it doesn't matter what the reality is now. It matters that this wound is defining me. So this really came out to me when my kids were little. So Heidi and I have five boys and, and uh, our daughter and our daughter-in-law. So we have seven kids. But my five boys, when, when boys are little and their dad gets in the water, it's kind of like hungry zombies. Like they just attack you. And so I would be in the water with the kids. The boys would attack me. They'd want to wrestle. And I would feel like Susan was trying to drown me. So the boys would attack me and I would have like a panic moment. And I would start throwing the kids off and punching them in the face and elbowing them. And Heidi was like, what are you doing? I'm like, they're trying to murder me. And she's like, the water is two feet deep and the kids weigh like 25 pounds. Like, what are you doing? But the wound was defining. It didn't matter what was true. It didn't even matter what was reasonable. It mattered the wound that was amplified, that was nourished, 
and now is defining me, right? Okay, now, what's this got to do with Christmas? Like, Jeff, it's Christmas, come on. Like, what are, what are you doing, right? When we're looking at the baby in the manger, I would look at the baby in the manger and I'd say, Who, what is going on? What is going on? Like, promise, Messiah, virgin birth, baby manger. Like, what's going on? Well, God put skin on so that we could understand him. Okay, what's that God like? Well, that God is full of unfailing love and faithfulness for you and me. That's why he came here, right? So, so, so how does he show up in my real life? Well, he understands your real life. He, he's been tested in the same ways that you've been tested, but he didn't sin. And he came down to earth to be with you so that when you are struggling with your humanity, you invite that God instead of push that God away. What's that got to do with my woundedness? Ah, glad you asked. As we look at the Bible and we look at God describing his son to us, it's fascinating how he describes his son, right? So one of the most famous Christmas verses, this is in all the Christmas cards, is this one. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. For to us a child is born. This is the baby in the manger. This is Jesus, right? So we're talking about the baby. To us a child is born, a son's given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So God, through his word, is looking at us and saying, guys, I'm gonna talk to you about the baby. Like, so the child is born, right, baby, manger. This is how you should think of the baby. How should I think about the baby? You should think of the baby as a wonderful counselor. A, the baby, yep. Think of him as a wonderful counselor. Why would God describe his son that way? Why isn't he a wonderful creator? Why isn't he a wonderful God? Why would he be a wonderful counselor? Right? Think of him as a mighty God. The baby. Child is born. The baby, a mighty God. Why a mighty God? Why not a righteous God? Or a holy God? Or a perfect God? Why would God, through his word, want us to think of the baby as a mighty God? This one blows me away. Think of him as an everlasting father. What does the baby have to do with fathering? So you want me to think of the baby in the manger through the lenses of an everlasting father. Yep, that's what I want you to do. All right? And then think of him as a prince of peace. Why a prince of peace? Why not the prince of heaven? Or the prince of Bel-Air? Or like, what, what, why, why, the, why the prince of peace? Why would I think about the baby that way? Right? Now, the Bible goes on, later on, one of the apostles, a guy named Peter, he's talking about same baby, and he says this. He goes, God would say, speaking through Peter, say, I also want you to think of the baby this way. I want you to remember this about the baby. The baby personally carried your sins in his body on the cross. So the baby in the manger is the man on the cross. It's Jesus. And when you think about Christmas, I want you to think about the idea that he 
personally carried our sins and his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right, by his wounds you are healed. So let's just do the math on it. So what we figured out so far is that the Messiah is born, good news, great joy, baby, manger. Who's the baby? God became human, put skin on to be with us. What's God like? He's full of unfailing love and faithfulness. Why would he show up? Because he understands us and he wants to be with us in our humanity. So we will learn. He wants us to understand him. So we'll learn to go to him instead of away from him. And he wants us to do that in our humanity and in our woundedness, that same God we should think of him as a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, and a prince of peace who personally carries our sins to the cross so that by his wounds we can be healed. Christmas is an invitation from God to invite him into our woundedness. And this is what happens in our woundedness, right? In our woundedness, our foundation of our understanding of life and God become attacked, broken, and distorted, right? So for instance, if your wound is imposed externally, somebody did something to you, you were sexually abused. The stats say that about 50% of all people are sexually abused, men and women. Women are emotional about it, men are secretive about it because we're humiliated by it. About 50% of everybody in this room has been sexually abused, right? When I'm sexually abused, this is what happens. My foundation is distorted and I'll start to build a life off of that distorted foundation. And that distorted foundation will tell me this, I, I am worthless and I can't trust anybody because I'm a child and when you abuse a child sexually, you break their trust mechanism. So I can't trust, now that is what I think and that is the life that I will start to live. I will start to live as a worthless person and I will not trust, I won't trust my parents, I won't trust my spouse and I'm not gonna trust God. And I'll keep that secret and that secret will fester and all people will see is the external version of me and they'll have no idea that I feel that way on the inside. If an external wound of abandonment is brought to us. Abandonment, the counselors will say, is the deepest of all wounds. Because when I feel abandoned, what I feel is I feel unlovable. No one can love me. I mean, after all, the the number one way that I translate God is through my father. When my father walks out on me, my core understanding of love is taken from me. I'm unlovable. 
I don't love me. They don't love me. You won't love me. God doesn't want to love me. Dad walked out. Mom walked out. First spouse walked out. Friends walked out. I'm abandoned. And when I'm abandoned, I'll believe that wound. It doesn't matter how deep the water is. The wound is driving it. And I'll believe that I'm unlovable. So what I'll do when I believe that I'm unlovable is I will figure out a way to make people love me. I might manipulate you. I might control you. Because see, it's all amplified by sin. I might achieve at such a high level that you're so blown away by my awesomeness that you have to love me. I might throw my body at you because they always pay attention to me. If they can have my body, it's what they want. And a wound amplified by sin, never telling anybody that this is how I feel or how I see myself. And now it defines me. If I have a self-imposed wound, I have shame and I have guilt. And when I'm struggling with shame and guilt because of what I did, the way that I'll think is this. I'll think I deserve this. I deserve the pain in my life. I deserve people mistreating me. I deserve, because I am disgusting to myself. I hate myself. And I just assume that other people hate me. In fact, I assume that God hates me. I don't want anything to do with me. Why would Jesus want anything to do with me? I am so, if you knew what I did and what I continue to do, if you knew this, I am the abuser. I am the one who abandoned. I can't stand myself. So I will literally put myself in relationships where people treat me like dirt because I believe that that's how I deserve to be treated. See? And in my woundedness, which everybody has, you're worried I'm looking at you and other people are looking at you. But everybody's worried about the exact same thing because we're all in the exact same boat because if you're a human being, you deal with wounds. And God looking at us wounded and broken and living life trapped in cycles that we hate says I got good news. I got good news. What? I'm sending a wonderful counselor down to earth to be with you. Because these wounds aren't just wounds of the mind and wounds of the emotion. When somebody abuses you, they attack your soul. And a good counselor is great but only God can put the soul back together. And where your soul is broken, I want to be with you there. I know you need me. I got good news. I am sending a mighty God, not a judgmental God, not a condemning God, and not just a higher power, not just a concept of God. 
because I really believe in counseling and I really believe in support and I really believe that it takes a powerful, mighty God to shatter the chains of addiction and to break and to restore and to resurrect a dead heart. And that's who that, that baby, that child that's born is that. He's an everlasting father. Why in the world would the baby be a father? Because God is entering our woundedness and he's looking at us and saying, listen, I know a lot of this pain comes from your daddy and comes from your mom. It comes, those aren't like it would be nice to have better friends. The need for a father and a need for a mother who love you and are engaged with you. That's not a wish, that would be better, I'm a snowflake need. That is a core human being need that billions of human beings are robbed of. So God says, I'm sending you a father a perfect father that loves you and will protect you and will speak hope and courage and truth into you. And I'm sending you the Prince of Peace, peace. If I could just sleep, if I, if I could just not be afraid of my husband's affection, if I could, if I could like not despise myself, if the anxiety and the fear could just alleviate, if I could have peace. And a child is born and a son is given and he's given for those things because of our woundedness. But a wound is amplified by sin and nourished in secrets. And God's like, I know, I gotcha. That baby, he's gonna carry your sin in his body on the cross. That baby is gonna walk up to you and he's gonna say, I know, I know your secret. You can hide yourself from other people, but you can't hide yourself from me. I know the decision you made. I know where you went. I know what happened. I know everything about that phase of life. I know what you were thinking. I know your shame and your guilt. I've always known known it, I already chose to love you. Would you just let me have it? I will personally take it from you and I will personally carry it to the cross and I will suffer the wounds that you deserve or you think you deserve. I'll go through that. Why? So that you can be healed. And Christmas is that. It's God showing up coming down to earth, loving, faithful, 
understanding of our woundedness and knowing that this son, he's gotta deal with our sin, he's gotta deal with our soul, and he's completely willing to deal with our pain. And the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, a father, peace. You guys ever, um, you ever been in a uh, situation, something happened, you know, you had a death of a loved one or a death of a dream, a broken relationship, whatever. Been in a place where you're in deep, deep pain. You ever have a friend that came and was just with you during that time? And they, they just showed up and they kind of sat there, right? And maybe they didn't, they didn't say much. I'm, I'm like that. When I'm in pain, I don't want you to talk to me. Like, I was, like how you doing? Shut up. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm just that guy. I don't want to talk about it. But I don't want to be alone. So they sit there. And they don't, they don't show up with a bunch of words because there's really nothing to say. And they, they don't show up with five ways to overcome your, because that person, you just want to punch them in the face, right? And so you're just like, but they're with you. And when somebody's with you, how, that can alleviate fear and anxiety. And I call it the power of presence. Hey. Christmas is not this promise from God that you will never hurt again or you will never deal with your wounds because God redeems wounds, but he doesn't always take them away. There's a purpose in them. Heaven is that promise. No more pain, no more tears in heaven. But on earth, we got a job to do and sometimes our woundedness, allow, we're the only people that can speak truth and love into somebody else who's wounded like we are. So it's not, Christmas is not the promise that everything goes okay. Christmas is the power of presence. God came to earth to be with us in a way that we can understand because he understands that we need him. And our woundedness is not evidence of the absence of God, that's not true. Our woundedness is not places that are dark and secretive and shameful that God's disgusted by, that's not true because he already knows. Our woundedness is a place of invitation. God, would you be with me here? You know my shame. You know my secrets. You know my abandonment. You know my abuse. Would you be with me here? And Christmas is the yes. It's the yes. Yeah, that's like the whole thing. 
God knows your wounds. So he became wounded so that you could be healed. All right. The band's going to come out. They'll have to move the stage around here a little bit, but would you pray with me as they come out? They're going to sing a song, and it's a beautiful song, the first one. And it's more of a prayer. It's almost like something that we'll listen to. But maybe you could pray it with them, right? Jesus, love you. God, in this still moment, as we worship you and pray to you, would you meet us? God, in very simple and deeply personal ways, would you engage every individual? Lord, we're all the same. We're all broken. But you are a mighty God. We're all lost and sent and confused as the human condition. But you're a faithful father. And God, in these moments, would you draw close to us in our woundedness and begin to heal and help and be present, God.